Digital Drift Episode 5, recorded Sunday 23rd February 2014. We hate movies. Deep discussion and entertaining analysis of movies, games and media culture. Welcome to the Digital Drift. Welcome back to The Drift. This week we're interviewing two of the hosts of a podcast I've been listening to with rabid fervor for many months. It's called We Hate Movies. And they chiefly concern themselves with looking at one film each week, almost always a bad one, but not necessarily one you shouldn't watch. They took us through the confluence of events and the nonsense that arises from bad writing. They have had me in stitches more than any podcast that I can remember since Ricky Gervais first brought attention to the medium. Tonight we're going to pick their brains on how they got started, their review process, their favourite moments, and some recommendations for best episodes to start with. So, welcome to the show, Andrew Jupin and Eric Siska. Hello, I'm Andrew Jupin. Eric Siska. And we hate movies. Okay, uh, now I've listened to, uh, you guys have got like 78 odd episodes or something, like something, a pretty high number on, on your feed at the moment, haven't you? Uh, well, on, yeah, on iTunes we got 78, but in total I think we're up to 145. Oh, jeez, why? Okay, so um, does it, where do we find the other ones? Oh, on, on the website whmpodcast.com, and that's also not including uh, app-only bonus content. Right, I need to get me some of that then because I've been devouring. Oh, I, I, because I tend to go for all the movies I know first. Um, that it's, it's kind of a good starting point to sort of get, get to, to know you guys, and then I've started venturing now into movies I've never seen before, like China O'Brien. I was like, right, never seen this. What what do these guys think? And and it's it's really fantastic to be taken through a reviewer's perspective on the daftness of certain movies. So we got loads of questions for you tonight. We'll start off straight and away and easy. We Hate Movies has been going since mid-2012. How did you guys get started? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, we all lived at the time in the same neighborhood in New York City, uh, in Astoria, Queens, if you, if you want to get specific. Um, and we had all gone to college together, so... Uh, you know, we would get together on weeknights and weekends and, uh, you know, hang out... Uh, you know, consume, uh, substances and, and beverages and whatnot and, uh, kind of sit around watching these bad movies and, you know, s- something we had been doing since, uh, university days, I guess, but, you know, sitting around just making fun of things. And one day I kind of thought, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, doing this newfangled podcasting <laughs> thing. I think we could probably, you know, do what we're doing now, but just record it while we, while we do it. And uh, there's a there's a slim, slight, minuscule chance that uh, someone might enjoy listening to it. So yeah, and I was like, yeah, all right, yeah, I, I was like, this is not going to fly. Oh no, but, I was uh, I was definitely the the crazy man with the crazy idea, and uh, they all begrudgingly went along with it for the first episode. We followed a madman, and it worked out. 
So how did it work? Did you just like plonk a, uh, a mic down in the middle of the room and go, right, everybody talk as you would normally talk, try to imagine the mic's not there, or, or what? We, we still, and from the start, I think we, we always had individual microphones, mm-hmm. and uh, we sort of just... Uh, just like, you know, we, we all went to school for, for film related stuff. So we're like, well, let's just focus on one movie. Let's just talk about it and go through it. And I guess we sort of always had that format ever since. Yeah. We sort of, uh, you know, we tried to have some sort of organization to it. Um, you know, because it, it, I knew, I didn't know, I guess, whether or not anyone would enjoy listening to it, but I did know for certain that no one would enjoy listening to us rambling in the room like it was there had to be some sort of order to the chaos mm. um so we, yeah exactly so we kind of figured okay well you know let's let's watch the movie get notes on it get get some idea of what we're we're going to do and then kind of have at it and i guess right away almost the uh the intended format kind of fell apart and we just wound up improvising and that's it's still what we do now 100 and 40 some odd episodes later is improvised the entire show. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I guess that's, that, that was basically the initial intention and it's kind of stayed the same, although changed a little bit, you know, from the, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, um, aside from just watching the movies once, how do you prepare for each review? Do you, do you write copious notes or do you, do you watch the extras? Do you actually, go deep on, on the research or, or uh, does it depend on which film you're watching? So well, speaking for myself, I never watch any of the extra stuff. Um, sometimes I'll go to IMDb and look up like the trivia or something like that to find out little, you know, things you could bring up, you know, Wikipedia as well. But uh, mostly it's just watching the movie and uh, we do do a little bit of notes, but a lot of that's actually just like plot points because <laughs> like we like to take you through a movie even if you have never seen it, like you were saying. You were yeah, just listening yeah. to Trino O'Brien. But, like, so we try to get, like, the structure of the movie down to give a structure to the jokes we'll, do, we'll come up with in the moment. It's also a reason why, uh, you know, if, if you notice after a certain point, our episodes jump from 35 minutes into the around, you know, There's hour some, 20 yeah, to yeah. hour 30 that they are now. I think I probably take the most amount of notes than any of the other guys just because as host i'm kind of steering the conversation and making sure we're not you know jumping over something that might be a little bit plot specific or something like that um you know because a lot of the times you know we would jump to a part of the conversation and if you haven't seen the movie uh, you know, something, a scene or a moment or something we might be talking about. Might need explaining. Uh, you know, if, if we haven't gone through the, an earlier part of the film, it might be a little cloudy as to, you know, what's going on. So for me, I kind of just sit there, uh, the night or two before we're going to record an episode and kind of just take some, some pretty in-depth notes on my phone. Not that I use all of them, but just so I have them in case we get off track too hard or something like that. So speaking of comedy moments, there are moments that you guys hit upon, particularly ridiculous aspects of certain films in such a way (laughs) that I can never see that film again without thinking of your show. I'm going to play for the listeners at home a little bit from your Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull review where you discuss Mac 
and his love of gold, Jonesy. <laughs> this is where we're introduced to Ray Winstone, and the oh, and the thing is, like, all right, so there's been a long, there's been a long period sorry. of treasure. <laughs> there's been a long period of time between the last movie and this, with 20 years. Right. And we, we do a cool thing where it's like it's not the 40s anymore; it's almost the 60s. So we're not like pretending Indiana Jones any younger than he is. But he's had all these adventures we have no idea about, and they all involved Ray Winstone. Totally. It's like he got a fucking dog partner, and they had all sorts of wacky adventures throughout the last decade. But, yeah, so, and yeah, it's, it's just undercover blues syndrome, and it's just like, oh, remember Tahiti when I was wearing a song? You know what I found in Tahiti, Indy? Go. <laughs> and gonorrhea. <laughs> It was my Goldaria summer. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> Winstone turns on him. Indiana Jones gets into a rocket race or who gives a shit and winds up in, a, we can start here, a town that is made for nuclear testing. It's a real thing. No, I know. I'm not oh. saying that, that. That's your your tone implied. Okay, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I you think fucking no, moron. I think that tone is there because he makes it out of this town. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eric. And yeah, they just, they go inside this thing. It's actually a nice, uh, graphic of like these four gigantic columns coming up. There's some the, good temple stuff in here, which yeah. you don't have a lot of in this movie, which you want. But also, again, and like, I, I, I'm, I tire of doing this, but back in, uh, last I Crusade. I tire of doing this. <laughs> <sighs> um, back at Last Crusade, like all of the things he had to do to get, there were like, daring. And yeah. there was like, God, I could die doing this. The walking across the thin rock. Bridge thing, yeah. um, and like you could die. You you see somebody get fucking killed by drinking the wrong cup. But also, it's it's things that are set up in throughout the movie. Where like these are going to be the challenges. You know, figure out the riddles. Use your strength. Use your mind. All these kinds of things. And he's not. He just kind of he falls ass backwards into everything in this movie. You're right. No, it's this is the Kramering of Indiana Jones adventures. Like it's just like oh wait oh okay there it is. <laughs> you know, it was like, behind me the whole time. Oh, Sorry, I, everybody. I found it. Oh, All right. How do I open this tomb? Oh, I have to hit a rock with another rock. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I'm good at. Oh, 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 go behind this rock. Oh, oh, oh. We, we can talk a little bit more uh, raids Winstone, please, uh, because. He, during the big, uh, jeep chase, uh, Ray, you know, Indy's pissed off because Ray Winston over him. He's choking him. He's like, Indy, you're not listening to me. What I'm saying is it's like Berlin. Remember the adventure we had in Berlin? What were we? And they say it together. Double agents. Double agents. Uh, also, right before that, he prefaces the whole thing with, oh, I'm CIA. <laughs> yeah. Really? You're CIA too, you fucking pig. And now. American Culinary Institute. <laughs> uh, Culinary Institute of America. <laughs> and I learned to cook some grilled cheese, I did. <laughs> and he's leaving these little, uh, transmitters all over, so Kate Blanchett, who barely can do anything in this movie, is just following them. Totally, yeah. He just leaves these little these little bleeping things behind, and it's like you don't know who's doing it at first. So you're, you, like anyone in the audience is like, "Who's betraying Indy's party?" <laughs> yeah, obviously, <laughs> it's so stupid, and so that's that makes it like what a triple cross. By the way, no, he, he, he says, says it in the end. He's like, "What? What are you a triple agent now?" And he's like, 
No, I was just lying about being a double. And it's like, I was also lying about hating gold. Because I love gold. <laughs> oh, what a pretty little lie that was. <laughs> Me hating gold. He goes, yeah, they're in this temple and it's the city of gold. And he's like, oh, it's finally all me gold. <laughs> he's like a boo in Aladdin. He's just like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's just getting all these fucking pieces of gold. Okay, so my question regarding that is, where the hell does that come from? Does it occur to you while you're watching the film, or is it spontaneous, or is it just like somewhere in the middle of it while you're just writing notes? You're like, this guy really loves his gold. <laughs> I, well, I, I think where part did the of that was come from. Sorry, I think that was part of that is in the in the moment in the room with the guys as well because it's like. What is what is the motivation for this character? You Dangerous know, and, question to ask with some of these films because yeah, you're questioning yeah. it more than a lot of the filmmakers. <laughs> and it yeah. just seems like Max's only real goal, you know, besides hanging out with Jonesy, is is treasure, you know. So it just, it, I think it just kind of happened. I don't think it was really a premeditated uh, thing with that with with Mac. Correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew. No, you're not wrong. I was just going to to add on top of it that. Um, the great benefit of doing this show majority of the time with the four of us in some sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, in some sort of, you know, uh, rotation of the cast, uh, we have had some, some guests, guest spots on every now and again, and they've been, you know, friends of ours and things like that. But, uh, the great thing about having the four of us kind of rotating through this, this show every week is, we know each other's comedic sensibilities so well. And the one thing I can uh, speak to that sort of adds on to the, the Ray Winstone thing is, uh, back when The Departed came out in 2009 or whenever that was, mm. uh, we all knew right away that Ray Winstone's suicide in that movie is one of the single greatest moments because it's such this like grand disregard for his own life that his last words are oh fuck it I, I've forgotten the film you're gonna have to refresh my memory on this uh, it's uh it's 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 the big bust at the end of the movie you know the cops are there Nicholson's number is up it's a big shootout and Ray Winstone Winstone in this moment of like fight or flight. He's, just, he, he's sitting in a sedan. Yeah, right? he's sitting in a, a shitty sedan and he just says, you know, he's thinking to himself, I can run, I can try to get away from the police, I might get arrested, then I'm doing time and who knows what's happening. And he decides, oh, fuck it. Just, oh, fuck my life. Yeah. And kills himself. And so right. we had been. Did making, he shoot himself or? He, shoot, he shoots himself right in the chin. <laughs> Uh, the old, the old up through the chin and out the back of the head. Yeah. And, uh, we, we have been making impressions and making fun of that suicide for, for years. So when we came to, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, we sort of already had this back knowledge of like, all right, well, we have this super, super, uh, inaccurate cartoon impression of Ray Winstone <laughs> killing that himself. One out. <laughs> Dust it uh, off. Yeah, exactly. Oh, here's a perfect opportunity to dust it off. And in this situation, he's, uh, he's just, he's intoxicated by gold. So it's like, it's the same. It's, oh, fuck it. You but no, it's go. I'm not going to run holds together. Oh, oh gold it. Yeah. Oh, gold it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so it's those kind of things that are a real benefit to the way we do this show. Um, maybe, maybe versus other shows that have like a, a rotating, uh, host and guest or guests or something like that week after week. We just have known each other for so long. We know, you know, we know what someone can do and what someone can't. So we can 
you know, set someone up for exactly. something. Yeah. Like uh, maybe I'll say a joke and, you know, the audience will think it's, oh, you know, that's just a joke, but it's really just this, it's a, this mini joke to set up Steve or someone else to, to get to the next thing. Yeah. And other moments that have just, again, like not so much broken the movies as maybe added to them because in most <laughs> cases they're shit movies. <laughs> Oh um, yeah, we uh, we deal almost exclusively in pure shit. That's the thing. So all you really do is polish turds mm-hmm. in the best way possible. You're performing a national service. Um, but <laughs> yeah, the, I don't know. I think it was Casper, but there's this sort of. I think it was you, Andrew. Um, the, the sheriff voice that you lapsed into, one of you, uh, during the Casper show, and, and it was like, oh yeah, and, you know, don't want to go down that house there. Oh, uh, oh, the the main the main stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, Casper. no that. That goes back to, I mean, and I don't know, I'm sure someone can pinpoint the exact moment, but what I think it is is an episode we did on a, a film called Silver Bullet, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Stephen King adaptation starring Gary Busey and Corey Haim. <laughs> and what that is, is uh, it's an impression of the actor Ed Gwynn, who played Herman Munster. In uh, uh, Pet Cemetery. In Pet Cemetery, yeah. Oh, yeah, I yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, I can't get that from here. You know, and that is, uh, you know, that is just your stereotypical, that's what a Mainer sounds like. And, you know, I've been to Maine several times and not everyone up there sounds exactly like that, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's up there. And, uh, yeah, so that just, we kind of were assuming, uh, hey, sure. It's 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 unconfirmed, but why not? The movie's set in Maine, so let's make these uh, these police officials Mainers for no reason. But you embroider the uh, characters when you apply logic to their motivations with these like ridiculous. I, I can't really remember exactly what it was about Casper, but you were saying, well, okay, if he really was a ghost, this doesn't make sense, and it's actually kind of sinister. And things like that. It's, it's, we do that on this show all the time. Yeah. The Alien Resurrection one, the, the, the times, the amount of times in that film they get away with shit writing. And I'd say this is just Whedon writing here. Um, <laughs> by going, oh, alien DNA. And it, it's just, just basically whatever that raises a question mark, it's alien DNA. This alien is an agent. It's the only explanation. It can dodge bullets. It can, jo- <laughs> it can dodge grenades. They get to the top and they're underneath the membrane and they can't get out of the water. Oh my god! Jonna and Christy have knives. Why do they not employ them at this point? Because they are stupid. Yep, that's good enough. Alien uh, DNA? Alien DNA? <laughs> um, then a face hugger jumps out. And there's, I mean, there's everyone's in the water. It's all right there. And despite the fact. That aliens actually decide not to kill Ripley later on for the same reason that the alien doesn't kill Ripley in Alien 3. The facehugger goes for Ripley. And Ripley reacts like Frank Drebin when you throw a towel in his face. He goes, and shakes her head. And this floppy rubber piece of crap, which used to be so fucking scary in uh, Aliens, now suddenly isn't. And they killed the facehugger in that one quick go. It's pathetic. The shark voice... That <laughs> turned up in Jaws. I think it also turned up in Deep Blue Sea. Yes, yes, um, it did. I've called it Gilbert Gottfried because it sounds a little bit like that. Like <laughs> he just makes terrible puns. You're gonna have to do it. I can't do this one. I'll, I'll play a oh, bit it's, from it's the a, show. It's a wretched. It's kind of Danny DeVito, but it's also a little <laughs> bit of Gilbert. It, yeah. It's got a little bite to it. <laughs> oh, Christ. 
Exactly. Yeah. Um, again, you uh, you made something like Jaws 3D not just tolerable but entertaining in its premise by applying a character to the shark that was stalking this family. Yeah, it's it, we're we're just recycling movies and, and churning out something hopefully a little bit better. <laughs> and it's, the, uh, I guess it well, you know, it's something that I believe the first shark movie we did was Jaws the Revenge, actually, the fourth I think movie. So, yeah. With uh with with Michael Caine. And I think uh-huh. the reason yeah, no, we that was the one that I, I heard the first time. I think I haven't heard Jaws three D yet then. Oh, okay. Uh well I think the the reason that sort of came up was because in that movie at least, uh I mean this this shark is totally uh this hyper intelligent character. And I, I feel in some way, you know, while the the course of the episode was being recorded, it was like, well, we have to be able to explain this shark's motivation in some way. Yeah. The so, only way to make sense is to make him kind of human. Yeah. Because why, why else would he follow the Brody family down to the Caribbean? He doesn't know that they're – like, I guess he knows that they're going down there. So, you know, obviously he's got a human type of trait there. Yeah, exactly. He's hyper-intelligent to the point of, you know, he may be some sort of human-shark right. hybrid. It's so. like Gremlins to the new batch. Yeah, yes, he's a smart gremlin in that. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, if he's if he's going to have to talk, why not uh, a cartoon New Jersey voice of some kind? And that's uh, I mean, that's uh, the brilliance of working uh with with Steve Sadak on the show is uh, you know, he as well as the the rest of us are kind of like this uh, gateway into pop culture. I mean, we've seen so much stuff between the four of us that we're able to kind of just I don't know, pull out these things, reference these things. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, when Steve was going through that riff, I remember recording the episode and just thinking, yeah, like, yes, of course, this makes complete sense. Like, I know exactly what he's what he's talking about, you know, the point that he's trying to get across. Uh, And and then at the same time, it's also super hilarious and making me laugh. While we're doing it, I mean, it's just great. That's the uh, that's the fun of being able to do the show with these guys. The other thing is, of course, I haven't yet seen uh, After Earth, and now I don't have to. Because yeah, you're if you fine. if you just listen to the podcast, it's 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 like an hour and a half or so, so it'll be shorter than the film, and it's incredibly entertaining, and a lot more work has gone into it <laughs> than you, you apparently actually, went into the film. I'm actually in the same boat with you there because I wasn't on that episode, and I was like, ah, oh, the guys will do it, and I'll just listen to that, and then hey, I know After Earth now. Yeah. Yeah, and it's actually, I think, only 10 minutes shorter than the actual episode, so it's <laughs> totally fine. It's the actual making movie. time with this one. You're basically yes, exactly. giving people 10 minutes that they can do with whatever they like with their life. You oh. can read books, you can research cancer cures, whatever you want to do. I've just Make noticed this week's episode is Hard Target. I haven't listened yet, but that's the one where Jean-Claude Van Damme throws a grenade down Lance Henriksen's pants. It certainly is. Brilliant. <laughs> Can't wait for that one. You've got a... Uh, clearly very vocal community as well you, you tend to sort of uh, like you start your shows talking to the community and you, you you tend to end them sort of saying hey guys you know submit your requests and and uh and there's a lot of stuff which is very time sensitive that turns up and you've got a lot of things going on um how uh d- describe your community and how it sort of sprang up because obviously you, you 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 have to you have to generate it somehow well i would say how it sprang up first of all, was completely by accident, which is the best way to describe any amount of success or popularity the show has gained. I had completely 100% zero idea 
how to record a podcast and and distribute it and so on. And so the first episode we ever did was on the John Belushi biopic Wired starring Michael Chiklis. And, you know, we kind of just did that, you know, on a lark, seeing if we could make this whole thing work. And, you know, because I had no experience whatsoever, it took me three hours to edit this 35-minute episode or whatever. Uh, and I had just posted the episode... Uh, on this on this blog that later became our website, but uh, you know, I posted this episode just to see if I could make the whole uh, RSS feed work with iTunes and and see if that whole thing could actually function properly because I was I was I was going blind through the entire thing, and uh, all of a sudden, all these people were commenting on the show page in the iTunes store. Uh, saying like, wow, this is really funny. By the way, your audio is total shit. Yeah. Uh, so we were like, oh my goodness, you know, people are listening to this show. We better start making more of them. Uh, and what it's turned out, you know, all these years later is we really do have a super amazing, uh, group of fans. Uh, and, you know, they are, they are a group of people that, you know, we enjoy talking to. Mm-hmm. We're super active in, in the social media scene. Uh, Twitter and, and Facebook and all that stuff, uh, you know, because we like hearing from these people and, uh, you know, not that we, uh, bend to the every, every whim of every listener who complains about whatever, but, uh, it is nice to know at least that, you know, people are complaining because they like the show or they're, they're writing to us because they like the show or something like that. So, you know, it's a show that's based, uh, it's, it's success entirely off its, its fan base who continues to spread spread the word about the show to other people so we're uh you know obviously incredibly grateful to those folks but uh yeah total accident to the entire thing wow because i it took it it took a lot of hard work to actually generate and cultivate a community uh, for our our podcast um it's just, it's something that the show has lived by basically it, i would have stopped years ago were it not for the community um, we would have too us. i mean i, I don't want to make it sound like i'm saying this was easy i mean there was mm-hmm. a lot of uh you know when we first started the show it was uh like a bi-weekly thing and we kind of just did it mm-hmm. when we could do it and uh you know we noticed a lot of people saying you know wow i wish this was out every week and so on um so yeah. it was things like you know making the conscious decision okay listen we're going to put out an episode every week year round and you know we did that for a number of years i was putting out episodes right through planning uh having uh you know my wedding and everything like that you know we worked right through that um and only this past august did we actually take the month off and, uh, you know, even while we were doing that, we were recording other things and, and working on projects and stuff. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's something that you need to stay consistent about, I guess, is what we learned. Yeah. Um, because the, the internet is a, is a very forgetful kind of place. And, uh, you know, if you don't put out stuff and people aren't in the habit of listening to you, they'll just as easily, you know, remove you from their phone or computer or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And also, also the community is great too because it lets you know like what really works for them and what maybe doesn't. Like you get you get feedback that way. Like when we do like a live episode in a in a theater, you know, you can tell like what jokes people really like from um, their reactions, but like when you're dealing with something like this, you really do depend on on that internet community to uh to chime in and let let you know what they appreciate or don't. Right. More talking sharks, please. 
Exactly. Um, you mention every so often there uh, is a short list of movies you won't touch. So uh, just just for my listeners, which movies won't you touch and why not? Oh, boy. Um, okay, we won't ever do an episode on The Room. Uh, Which I'm assuming is still the most requested, despite the fact that you made this statement. Yeah. Well, the yeah. thing is, like, so, like we're, we're basically mining comedy out of a lot of bad movies, and yeah. some of these movies are just pure comedy, so what could we really add? And they've been done to death by other shows. Mm-hmm. So why would we do... Why do The Room? Why do Troll 2? Yeah, uh, I, I've never really heard of Troll 2 or why it's so bad. Is that really worth watching? Uh, I mean, I guess so. There's a documentary out there called Best Worst Movie. Which is better than the movie. <laughs> which is, it's way better than, than the movie. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, uh, the cult following of that movie came around. I know here in New York we were, uh, we were having a couple screenings of it at, uh, a, uh, a comedy theater here and they were kind of riffing it live. Uh, yeah, that just has its own audience. But yeah, I mean, like Eric said, all of these movies that already have an audience for being a terrible movie, yeah, yeah. there's no reason for us to try to come in and make new jokes out of it. Because um, yeah. if it's one thing, um, you know, we always try to emphasize when we when we talk to people about the show is, you know, yes, it's a show where we focus on uh, on on movies, on on bad movies usually, and and, and things like that. Um, you know, we don't consider it a film show, even though we're all sort of educated in film in, in one way or another. Uh, you know, like Chris Cabin is a professional film critic. Eric and I have degrees in cinema studies, which yeah. is, you know, translates to four years of watching movies and writing and talking about them. Um, you know, but we always first and foremost want it to be a comedy show. Mm. Uh, so it's like, you know, when there's a movie like The Room, which is just a comedy show in itself. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to sit here with two other guys and make make better comedy out of Tommy Wiseau. I mean, the guy is a walking joke and it's great. And, you know, and the same thing with like Birdemic and, and Birdemic 2. These are movies that are made incompetently and almost intentionally so uh you know there's really nothing for us to touch on there we'd rather dig into something like tough turf which is the james spader teen gang musical from the 80s which is actually a movie we all legitimately love Mm -hmm. um you know but nobody's thought about this movie in in 15 20 years uh, so if we're able to dig that out of the gutter and make new, fresh jokes about a movie like that, it's just more interesting and appealing for us. Mm-hmm. Plenty of people know all about the room. Plenty of people have done it. There's plenty of staffers out there to cover it. But no one's talking about The Passion of Darkly Noon, which is a fucking pa- terrible Brendan Fraser film. Oh, wow. Well, oh, really? We're going to have to look that up. My first thing I thought you were going to say, The Passion of the Christ no, 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 no. That'd be a really edgy that. one for us. No, you guys are much more out there. And that's the thing, because I, I, I go down this giant list of movies, like, I have not seen, not seen, not seen, not even heard of that one. Which, so it's, it's, you are introducing us to new stuff by, right. by your we're, choices. We're, we, also, we also try to make it enjoyable for, if you never have seen the movie, never intend to see the movie, you know, you could, you could look up, you could listen to China O'Brien and still get it. Yeah, you know? absolutely, yeah. Or indeed, just imagine walking tall with a woman. Yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, that's that's the other fun part about this show. And it's something we, again, made a decision 
uh, kind of early on about the show, uh, which is that, you know, there are other shows out there that are doing newer films, bigger things that are sort of still in the, uh, you know, the public consciousness and our bread and butter are those films that kind of lay beyond that, you know, the ones that have definitely been forgotten by time uh, for one reason or another. And, oh, never you know, quite made it to DVD in some cases. Uh, yeah, most definitely. And, you know, that's kind of what set us apart from these other shows. I mean, because mm-hmm. make no mistake about it, there are a lot of bad movie podcasts out there, which is totally fine. There were a bunch before we got in the game, and, and there's which, been a bunch after. We started in... in t- like November 2010, and we didn't even know we didn't even know that we, there were all these other ones. Yeah, That's we were, how ignorant we were. We were so superbly ignorant to anything, um, you know, which which is fine. But I think you know, once that, once the show you know started having listeners, and we sort of realized there are these other shows out there, we kind of looked at what other people were doing and said, okay. Uh, you know, we're capable of taking this in in a different direction. So you know, that's why we kind of hunker down in the nineties and and eighties and kind of the late seventies, just because it's stuff that you know we find by accident or remember. That's another another great thing is you know all these movies that we dig up where people will listen or even just see the episode listing and then write in and say like, holy fuck i totally forgot that this movie even existed but now i'm remembering oh yeah i saw it in the theater for my 10th birthday or or something like that um so that's that's been a lot of fun for our audience uh, going that route and so like i think it's actually at that moment where we first are we are confirmed that the shark has come in and we just get this shot of a shark like, hey everybody, welcome to the party. And he's like, oh, here he comes. It's like now entering Bahamas and he smashes through it. <laughs> There's a lot of those shots of just the shark like floating towards the camera like, how you doing folks? I'm here to work on my suntan and eat the brodies. <laughs> So there's this like morbid scene where Michael Caine takes her to this like street parade that's going on and he's like trying to like cheer her up or whatever and she's just talking about this dead son and how like she's not going to get over it, this whole thing. And he's so desperate to just get in this woman's pants. He's like, you know what, Ellen? You just gotta get on with your life. You just gotta, you just gotta buck up, forget about your dead kid, move on, you pussy. You know what I say? Make some mistakes, right? <laughs> Two more shots. Let's just see what happens. See how the night t- goes. We'll wake up and see what happens. Funny enough, you're not gonna believe this. One time, I myself had a son that was also eaten by a shark. <laughs> you know the first thing I did? I went out and just fucked the first perfect piece of ass I saw. <laughs> I think you should do the same, Ellen. We only live once, we do. <laughs> Using every line of the goddamn book. Using the old "my son was eaten by a shark" line. Yeah, <laughs> that'll get that'll get you there. The the best part about that scene again, supernatural sharks. They're like dancing at some fucking street parade because who gives a shit? Right. And she gets these like like uh, uh her son Michael is getting attacked by the shark. It's the first shark scene there, and she knows it. Like she gets it, like visions. It is a mother's intuition, folks. <laughs> no. <laughs> And that is some dark magic right there. <laughs> I mean, it's a whole thing where the shark, they're on like this huge, it's not a barge, but it's like a science boat. I think it's like a pontoon boat kind of thing. So it's just basically like a big platform. And this shark just jumps right up and starts chomping on whatever it can get at. Yeah, it's just eating deck. <laughs> 
Dex high in fiber. Grog, grog, grog. He's just eating all this wood and pieces of metal. Hey, excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. What's with all these Caribbean guys up here? Has anyone seen a pale Brody? <laughs> oh, there he is. <laughs> I'm looking from some. I'm looking for someone with a very specific heritage. He's got to <laughs> be from New England. That shark is tired, you know. Came all the way from New England, it did. Yeah, that's true, actually. It just swam thousand miles or so. Yeah. Well, right. I figure I could die if I stop moving, so better go to the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the funny part about it is... <laughs> I would like to think that the shark just went down there to retire. Oh, no, the Brodies are here, too! <laughs> you move down here, too, while this is just perfect. It's like a good... It's like summer rental. <laughs> I was reading a thing that this was actually a big winner at, I believe, like, the first Razzies or something. Oh, really? Yeah, that, that, that sounds right. Well, or maybe I don't it think was... it was the first, but it was, it was, it definitely got nominated a lot. I, I read that, like, Michael Caine was one, was an actor who got nominated for a Razzie coming off an Academy Award, and the last person to do that before this was, I think, Louis Gossett Jr. in Jaws 3. Yes, which yes, is that's true. No, but actually, no, you're right. It wasn't the first Razzie, but it was, uh, this movie, was rated like the most fun to watch bad movie oh, by yeah. the dude who created the Razzies, who I imagine probably talks like this. <laughs> Arnold W. Razzie. <laughs> <laughs> who likes to have fun at the movies? My- Arnold W. Razzie does. Michael Caine, lay down. I'm going to give you a big old wet raspberry. <laughs> That's why people don't accept their Razzies. <laughs> they don't want to meet Arnold <laughs> W. Razzie. <laughs> Because he just sexually harasses them at the ceremony? Man, woman, or goat, no matter what, it'll happen. So I mean, the next question I wrote on the fly while I was just uh, uh, starting up on the podcast tonight. Um, what's the deal with Jim Belushi? Because he turns up a lot <laughs> in your show. That, that's a perfect question, and we ask ourselves that every day. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one way to put it for sure. Uh just like he's like the really low rent Nicolas Cage. He has no taste, and yet he's in everything. It's uh, I mean, to a degree, I think for us it goes beyond that. Um, you know, we are four guys who you know grew up in in the mid to late eighties and grew up watching all of these amazing, uh, you know, SNL centric comedies. Mm. Um, and one of the things you take away from the early parts of those movies is how amazing John Belushi was. Uh, and you just think of films like Animal House and the Blues Brothers and things like that, movies that are on all of our shelves and everything. And then here is this guy who kind of saunters in uh, after his brother keels over in a Hollywood hotel and all of a sudden he's got this ginormous career filled with – action movies and and sex dramas and <laughs> shitty comedies and the only reason it's even a possibility is because the next best thing passed away suddenly so there's this fascination with us at least like you know you know you know he, he's so lucky he's even here right now um and 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 he he i believe you know takes that for granted if if you ever see anything about jim belushi in his personal life the guy is a monster yeah he's got well you know he's got a huge ego for what he is and also like the uh he's very misogynist and like if you if you listen to his personal thoughts you just want to run out of the room oh yeah it's wretched so you know to for us 
Uh, it's all that. But then we kind of just randomly decided, uh, er, very early on in the show, it's like the show was still in single digits. I think we decided to do K9. Uh, and then f- at that movie, you know, it was like, Oh, here's this voice we can do, which doesn't sound anything like Jim Belushi, <laughs> but you know, if someone was to make Jim Belushi the animated series, you know, maybe I could get a job on its 20 episode run, you know. <laughs> And everybody loved it. They loved the hell out of that voice because, uh, you know, and, and not just the voice, but the character that we kind of made because that's what we envision this guy to be. What's going through this guy's head? I mean, they're, they're all selfish, horrible, misogynistic thoughts. And when you put that out through the filter of a cartoon Chicago voice, uh, people, people apparently like it a lot. So, you know, that's one of those instances where we're listening to people and listening to what people like. And I mean, hell, for us, it's just a lot of fun to do that voice. Although I did learn it's not fun to do that voice live in front of a studio audience. Right. Because a lot of people haven't already heard it and they take it too seriously or? No, because I, you know, we've done a number of live shows and none of them Aside from uh, the On Deadly Ground episode we did, which was live for a, a podcast festival where we were doing our, our Michael Caine impression, which again is another terrible cartoon voice. Um, when I was doing this Jim Belushi voice, I realized there's a difference between doing this voice in front of two other people in my apartment. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my face can contort and I can be as animated as I want to be and look as stupid as I want to. Yeah. Uh, and there's only two guys who are also doing it along with me. Uh, then all of a sudden we're in this theater that's packed with people and we're doing Red Heat. Uh, and, you know, on top of slinging bad Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions everywhere. Hey, come on, man. Yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I have to be like, hey, guys, we're doing we're doing a podcast in front of all these strangers. And I just felt like such a total idiot <laughs> that I was like, you know, never again, oh. Jim Belushi movie live. Was it like it's crickets too... in the room? Just like, was it, no, it worked. It totally, no, it yeah. totally worked. But I think for me, even though the voice still got laughs from people, I was like, I can't, I felt so stupid doing that voice in front of people yeah. that uh, we just, we decided to nix it for all future live shows. Right. Now, I've, from what you said, I think I'm fairly certain how you're going to answer this next one. Um, but uh, a little background. I started my show in 2010. Uh, this is after I'd done three years of, or so of uh, video game-focused podcasting, uh, reviewing the three Star Wars prequels because I had such a colossal burning bee in my bonnet about them. Now, oh, them, me too, man. <laughs> you got to listen to those ones, man. They were really good. Basically, listening to Plinkett made me go... Right, I could do something that's kind of like this, but go maybe just the, the same sort of level of depth and analysis, but without the serial killer vibe. <laughs> and um, uh, he just, it kind of made me up my game. So, uh, yeah, uh, huge, enough respect to Mr. Plinky on that one. But um, over the next four years, I found that I was gravitating more to movies that a lot of people pass off as popcorn and going deep on the deconstruction, like, for example, like, fascinated by the idea of the path of the hero, and uh, and so we do a lot of superhero stuff, and I, I get people on to sort of talk about um, how the, the characters grow, and, and and usually about fairly trashy movies like The Incredible Hulk. Now, not that you need to, or should, and this is not me going, oh, why don't you do this, but do you ever feel compelled to branch out in towards more critically acclaimed movies, or... or I don't know, 
good movies. Or, or not even, like, good because they're well made, not because they're so bad they're good. Or, right. I mean, when I say critically acclaimed, somebody once asked me, why don't you talk about Precious or dramas or, you know, grown-up films? But ultimately, it doesn't, it doesn't interest me that much. I've never seen Precious. I'm not particularly interested in seeing it. I just I pluck that one out of the air whenever someone says, well, why don't you do more serious fare? But for you guys, have you ever thought, I want to talk about a movie that's just well-made? Um, you know, it's come up from time to time. We actually have thought about... Um you know, if we ever did like an April Fool's episode, we could take a movie that is critically acclaimed yeah, and Casablanca. Just, yeah, just like <laughs> fake tear it to shreds. Um, yeah. but, but, uh, you know, as far as talking about good stuff, that was kind of the intention of one of our sideshows, which is WHM on the screen, mm-hmm. uh, which is a show that you can mainly get on our, our app and band page. We haven't done a ton of them yet. Uh, just because, I mean, man, there's just not enough hours in the week. But, right. um, you know, the idea for that show is to talk about stuff that we're watching currently, um, you know, or something, you know, we picked up on DVD that was fantastic, uh, you know, that we just we want to talk about. So that's what we've kind of left the door open for with WHM on screen. But as far as, um, you know, what we call WHM Prime, uh, you know, that should that. RSS feed, that stream, that website, it's always going to be, uh, just either horrendous movies that are, are frustrating to watch, or in the case of th- some things like actually this past week's Hard Target, a movie that's so bad it's good, it's totally enjoyable watching, or, yeah. or Best of the Best 2, or something like that. Um, you know, I think th- just because the intention of the show, again, is, um, you know, it's, it's more comedy focused than anything else. Um, but something like WHM on screen, which while we still wind up making a lot of jokes on when we do episodes uh, for them. Um, it's a little more serious. Yeah. It kind of brings together our film background a little more. Um, we, we sort of do that on, on films we like as and liking them, not really trashing them necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, WHM on screen, you know, if we were to do a show on there where somehow – we wound up getting into this in-depth conversation about, uh, you know, diegetic and non-diegetic sound. It's totally acceptable. But if we've got someone tuning in to an episode of We Hate Movies and we just start going off about a topic like that, uh, you know, that's not what they're, that's not what they're really tuning in for. It's actually kind of a misnomer, your name, actually, uh, the, the We Hate Movies part, because while you do tend to focus on movies that are um, kind of more rubbishy, you, I, I have scarcely been able to find um, a podcast of people who love movies as much as you guys. It's uh, it, it radiates forth from your show. And, and while you rip into them, there's a joy to it. It could, it could come off as very... Um, this just sounds like I'm buttering you up here. Uh, it, it could come off as very sardonic and very um, de- depressing and moany and, and, and like nothing will satisfy you. If I, I've, I've, There's plenty of uh, critics, especially on YouTube, who just drive me nuts and I can't watch them for more than a few minutes at a time because it's just this relentless cynicism. But for some reason, you guys, despite your proclamation of hate, actually do kind of it's, – it's upbeat. It's, it's pretty peppy. Yeah, and I, I I think a lot of that comes from yes, of course we 
we we do indeed love movies. Uh, you know, I am a film programmer by trade during the day. Um, you know, we're all constantly watching movies and thinking about movies and writing about movies. Uh, so yeah, clearly, uh, you know, we all love movies. Um, I think at the time of the show's creation, you know, it was like, oh, well, what's a, what's a thing uh, we could throw into the name of this show that would really kind of grab at people? Uh, well, oh, the word hate, that, uh, that's that got a lot of weight to it. Uh, like, because just a few years ago, hate was in a shorter supply on the internet than it is now. Now you can't you know, yeah, stuff. We are, we're really happy that we were able to bring hate back to the internet. It You're was, welcome, everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it all exactly. sort of originates around you guys. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, guys, which are each of your top three all-time favorite episodes? So we're going to need six. Six. Okay. I, I'll go first, um, just because I'm currently staring at our episodes page, so I can have a, a point of reference. We. Uh, this is a tough question. It's a totally tough question because you know, one we've done so many, and yeah. honestly, when you when you were sitting here going through moments from from different shows it was great because i was like oh yeah wow that joke that's i did that so long ago um so it's it's been kind of fun doing that okay uh one that i will put out there as one of my favorites uh is the episode we did on star trek insurrection oh yes uh and you know uh, three out of four we hate movies uh participants uh excluding chris cabin uh, are gigantic Star Trek fans. Um, Steve and I were, were roommates at college and, uh, you know, we would come home from classes every afternoon and immediately, you know, start watching Star Trek, the next generation reruns and drinking and stuff like that. Uh, and to be able to bring Star Trek on the show, I think was really important for me because it's one of those things where, you know, we are super fans of something. Uh, but we don't hold it on this pedest- pedestal where it's this uh, sort of infallible uh, entity. You know, Star Trek as a franchise has put out a lot of crap. Uh, and, and we sort of felt, uh, you know, as these gigantic fans of this franchise, wouldn't it be great if we were the ones taking this, this, this entity to task? And... Yeah, Star Trek Insurrection is a terrible, terrible movie, and it's sad that it's like, you know, the end life of this cast. They only had one movie after that, which was also terrible. Uh, you know, it's just a totally lazy, disrespectful way to toss this cast of, of great characters in the garbage. And um, nonsensical too. It's one of those ones where you start to write down what happens on paper and you pause and go, Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Um, along those same lines, I would say, and this is a, a movie you've talked about on, on your program, but Ghostbusters 2. Oh, yeah. Editor's note. Andrew said this mere hours before Harold Ramis died. Spooky. And also one of the saddest events of my year. Again, because for me, this was it more real... Than <laughs> It was a real uh, revelation for me. It was one of the first movies I ever saw in theaters. And for years, I would go on and on about how great Ghostbusters 2 was. And one day, uh, you know, we were just talking talking about movies like we do, not on the air or anything. And I mentioned something about uh, some film wasn't as great of a sequel as Ghostbusters 2 is a sequel. And Steve Sadak turned to me and said, what are you? 
fucking crazy? <laughs> and I said, no, wait, no, what are you fucking crazy? What are we talking about here? And he said, listen, go back to that movie as a 30 year old man and watch it without your childhood reverence behind it. And it's terrible. It's a terrible, lazy cash grab sequel. Uh, so that was like a nice, like, uh, I don't know, shin, uh, skin shedding or, I don't know, quinceanera oh. for me, coming out of my shell. Skin Just shedding. knocking the rosy-tinted spectacles off your head. Yes, yes, most definitely. Um, and let's Why see. am I drippings with goo? <laughs> I will say... On a throne of blood. <laughs> oh, the sorrow of Moldavia. <laughs> Watching that movie. Um, okay, so I would say the one of my last favorites is uh, the film Deadlock. Uh, we did an episode on that. It's a Rutger Hauer movie. And it's not because I particularly think that episode is great. But for me, it was able to spawn one of the great moments in show history mm-hmm. so far, which was after we did an episode on that film, we wound up being able to interview Stephen Tobolowsky on the show. Uh, at the start was, you know, supposedly, you know, we're going to talk about Deadlock, this movie you did with Rutger Hauer you know, 15 years ago that you don't super remember. And it turned into one of the greatest conversations, you know, just this great afternoon of talking to one of the sweetest, most generous guys. You know, we've gone on to meet him since then. You know, he's he's done uh, his storytelling show here in New York. And, you know, we got to talk to him after the show. And he's just one of the sweetest, most generous guys. Um, and none of that would have been possible without us finding this crappy, terrible Rutger Hauer, Mimi Rogers, Stephen Tobolowsky sci-fi movie. Stephen Tobolowsky was in Groundhog Day. He was Needle Nose Ned, Ned the Head. Bing! Directed by Harold Ramis. This is further proof that We Hate Movies are the nexus. I gotta say, he was nice enough to talk to us. Just to put a button on that, a little... Little, uh, trivia for We Hit Movies fans is I actually reached out to Rutger Howard after that, and actually his manager actually talked to him about appearing on the show, and he decided to decline, and I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, we were not shocked that Rutger Howard passed on a We Hit Movies conversation. <laughs> it's also just more fun to do our show, and then also, like, you have to, like, if you're gonna bring someone on from a movie that you've ripped to shreds, you gotta kind of walk a fine line, and, mm. you know, it's kind of a, it's sort of awkward, but we would love to do it again if yeah. something arises. I just don't know if we're going to hunt it down necessarily. Yeah, exactly. You know who the lion in the jungle is? Jim <laughs> Belushi. Uh, you know what? I would love to sit down with that guy and just ask him a couple of questions. And that's the thing that's funny, too, is we, you know, we know, yeah, this guy's made off-color comments. His movies are, for the most part, pretty horrendous and whatnot. Um but he definitely is a guy we would just like to have a few beers with. I think it would be fun. I, yeah. I, I mean, like, I'm, I might not want to, like, move in with the guy, but I feel like he's probably, you There's know. There's a movie in that. Yes. it's <laughs> The movie is called Terrible Roommates, starring Jim Belushi <laughs> and the cast of We Hate Movies. And it's basically, it's it's me, Eric, and and Steve trying to live quietly Chris Cabin not picking up after himself, and then Jim Belushi bringing home prostitutes every night. <laughs> I feel is the crux of the film, and, and then us talking behind his back. Yes, oh, very much so. Tonight's thousand dollar movie. 
<laughs> Eric, I'm so sorry to have uh, left you up for so long. Um, c- oh, no come on in. Just uh, what what are your three favorites, or or even just like three ones that people just must listen to? Sure. I mean, um, a couple favorites of mine. Um, episode forty was a movie called Hider in the House, and this is uh, Gary Busey hiding in Mimi Rogers' house in the attic and uh, being a total creep. And I thought that was. A really fun movie that we found out about from a listener request, and um, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Okay, so hide it in that. <laughs> Next, and, Eric. Yeah, um, uh, Vis- Invisible Child, which uh, is a movie where Rita Wilson thinks she has a, a, a child that she does not, and. It- <laughs> She, it's, it's not, it's, the title's a little of a misnomer because she, that's not an invisible child, it's just no child. Yeah, she's a <laughs> non-existent child, I feel. And then her family's just enabling her the whole time, and it's just, I, I thought, I thought it was a fun episode to do, and it's just such an insane movie. Sounds like a, li- a lifetime movie at that, I think, right? Sounds like Lars and the Real Girl. But with an invisible child rather than a, a sex doll. Yeah, it's it's almost like Lars and the Real Girl, but you just you uh, you replace it with not a, a sex dummy. Uh, that was a that was a Lifetime. I don't know if you guys have Lifetime Movie Network in the UK. I'm but, aware of the Lifetime Movie Network. Yeah, it's, yeah I used to work such... there. Oh, geez. that's how we found the movie. Actually, I think was Eric used to work for Lifetime. So. What was that like? What did you have to do? Um, I did uh, several several things, but uh, one of the more interesting things I was able to do for for Lifetime was I would direct a voiceover actor to do like uh, like sort of like promos, mostly like related to ads, like oh, like Invisible Child is brought to you by by Men and you know stuff like that. But you know that's basically it. wasn't that It's not that interesting at the end of the day, but it, it allowed me to find out about a lot of these movies. So, like, Kirsten Dunst is 16 and pregnant, sponsored yeah, by yes, Kmart. That's, that's a movie we've watched a ton of times okay, and talked about doing on the And is it 16 or 15 and pregnant? It's 16. Oh, it's 16. Here's a couple more for you to uh, get your friends around to watch now. She's too young. She's too young. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can guess what that's about. And now, <laughs> there's a, what was it? Oh, oh, Cyber Subduction, His Secret Life. That's uh, a 2005... Did you see that one? No, no. I just, I just love the uh, idea of one terrible title colon oh. another terrible title, <laughs> such like as I'm, Adrenaline, Fear the Rush. That's a movie where a child, uh, you know, a teenager's a- addicted to uh, internet pornography. He can't stop whacking off. And let me say, you know, trouble ensues. You know. Yeah, the, he gets he gets himself into a couple of pickles in that movie. <laughs> okay, so my last episode I'll quickly mention because I think it's an underrated episode, and it's one that I go back to once in a while because mm. I, I I really enjoyed it. Uh, the Glass House. Ah, that's um, wow, oh God, Lily Sobieski oh, I... and uh, Stellan Skarsgård and our our favorite Bruce Dern. He of the agent who squeals and lets uh, Tarantino script out. Is that yes? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Who I actually was able to meet uh, a, about a month ago. We had him at a, an event for where I work for Nebraska, mm-hmm. and he was the absolute coolest guy oh, cool. who just had some of the greatest stories of all time. And uh, you know, off stage, off you know Q and A, Mike was also just very. 
totally 100% sweet and hilarious. No. Um, and I actually, after meeting him, felt horrible that, uh, I believe in that Glasshouse episode, I make the very ignorant joke of calling him Hollywood never was Bruce, Bruce Dern. Ooh. Uh, yeah, you know. No, and he was, he was, come on. He, 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 he was a Hollywood was, man. He was, uh, an amazing actor in in the 70s and the 80s and you know i mean for anyone who's seen nebraska it's just it is straight up the performance of a lifetime but uh yes that episode is very but funny. he also <laughs> has a funny voice you can do and exaggerate yeah exactly so you know if we can make you sound like a cartoon you're probably going to be on our show at some point oh, uh, speaking of episodes folks should see i'm amazed you haven't mentioned it but the best movie for that's not how the internet or indeed computers work Hackers. Ah, yes. That was a great episode. That's another episode that's sort of just like stuck in the 1990s. So it's that hilarious moment of like, technology can't get any better than this. (laughs) It it totally did, obviously. You'll never be able to hack more than a Gibson, man. (laughs) It also triple highlighted the uselessness of Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's something else, that guy. Although I will say, speaking of Nebraska and Alexander Payne, he's fantastic in the film The Descendants. Oh, yeah? Which was, uh, I was just as shocked as anybody. Matthew Lillard, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> I've got to see that one. But uh, is it, uh, Alexander Payne, is he the guy who did Election? Yeah. Oh, yes. Awesome. Okay, well, I will check that one out. Uh, a volcano, another great one. That's one that I haven't really talked about or thought about since the late 90s uh, when I saw it for the first time. There's that gut-churning moment at the end when the kid goes, they're all the same. Oh, and, yeah. And again, that's that not great? how lava works the whole way through. And that guy <laughs> jumping out of the train onto the lava. Did you say that's like, like one of the top deaths in Hollywood ever? It's it's one of the single there. greatest deaths of all time. I feel is uh, uh, John. What is the actor's name? Carol. John Carroll Lynch. John Carroll Lynch uh, jumping, and that is that is a moment that has stuck with me. I maybe did not think about that film since I saw it for my birthday, whenever a year that was. But I definitely <laughs> remember my parents dragging a minivan full of kids to the mall to see volcano and the only thing that stuck with me from the film was uh you know oh hey remember when that fat guy jumped in the lava that was pretty useless but this is what i don't understand and it's 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 crucial the the only reason it stuck with me is because the whole fucking point of the movie is that he's a lonely ghost and he wants a friend the whole goddamn point of the fucking movie (laughs) yes and the idea is that (laughs) He can't leave the house, therefore he can't find friends because people, everybody who comes into the house is scared by him. Right. But in this scene with Kathy Moriarty, he's just fucking going through town. He can go to any house he likes well, and visit anybody he would like. Yeah, but then- and one of these people, I'm sorry, maybe it's going to be a little stupid kid, but they're going to be friends with you. That was the point of the cartoon and the fucking comic book was he would just be friends with kids and like get shenanigans done. Right, yeah, the kids would accept him. Like you don't have to sit in your house and wait for people to come to you. You don't have to be watching hard copy, you know, tricking Kathy Moriarty real estate mogul to like bring people to you. You know, you can go out and make, you know, why don't you haunt the school? There's plenty of kids at the school. Yeah. Just go there. Be friends thought you're it's gonna like, find like the weird kid who's like, oh, a ghost, great. You dude, know, the simplest thing in the world. You have all these ghost powers. You go into you go into your own local liquor king and you steal <laughs> some of Dan Aykroyd's skull liquor for the popular kids in the high school. Oh. You've got friends forever, there, buddy. See, that's where you you went with it. I, I thought you were 
buttering us up to, and then you give it to the bums in the alley. <laughs> well, that'll be fucking, your friends. Really, great time. Yeah, this is key to the city, man. You're a ghost. You could be friends with anybody. I love the idea of like this small main town sheriff being like, "Okay, kids, now who bought you the liquor?" And they're like, "We swear to God, a ghost stole it for us." Okay, now nobody <laughs> likes a liar. Zero tolerance, don't you know? Into the slammer. I. <laughs> I more would like it if he, if, if this sheriff was just kind of like, was really just fucking tired of Casper's shenanigans. And like, he comes up and the kids are like, oh, we got it from Casper. That fucking little ghost! That's who should be calling Bill Pullman. We got with this little shit ass ghost. Give him all kind of, oh, well, he dropped that don't, mean accent. Don't listen to his cycle babbles. He will try things on you and it will turn your head around. I don't know why this is the accent for, like, what, Massachusetts? No. Oh, it's Maine. <laughs> oh, it's Maine, yes. Now, Dr. Pullman, this ghost will spin your yarn or two. Don't listen to a word he says. Just make sure he crosses over to hell. Make him be with the devil. Tried to get the father to uh, exercise him a few times. Didn't work. He screamed a lot. Oh, I love that. The, the sheriff's forcing the father to exercise the house. And they called fucking Guido Sarducci. Because you know, he got bumped up to Rome. Because he was supposed to... I think it, part of the premise was he was supposed to be a Vatican guy at one point. There is a danger to me listening to your show. For me personally, sometimes you make me doing shows redundant. For example, your Bad Boys 2 show. There's no point me covering it. You guys nailed it. Yeah, Will Smith in that movie is psychotic and a terrible, disreputable fellow who should not be trusted. Oh, he should be getting the chair by the end of that movie. <laughs> and then, uh, like, 45 minutes we had, right? Getting my coat. Oh, wait, we go to Cuba now? That, I mean, that, I remember, again, seeing that movie in the theater, and I was literally putting a, a hoodie on it was it was the summer month so i, I didn't need a, a full-on coat but i was preparing to leave the theater because i was not going to sit through the credits on this one and oh, wait, this all shit of a, just got real all of a sudden the shit got real and i had to take my hoodie off and put my fucking soda down <laughs> because there was 45 minutes of this movie you know, is i never watched that movie until the day before we did the episode on it and i was like how does this not end with a firing squad <laughs> This is after they have torn apart a barrio full of innocent Cubans. Yeah, but oh, it doesn't matter. They're all drug dealers. Because it's the big fat pig known as the United States <laughs> yeah, of well, America. Because if you're not an American, you're a criminal. That's, yep. First of all. That's what that movie tells you. America so, or in jail. Now that I think about it, I'm going to have to set my sights on like my, my ten most hated movies and do them quick before you guys do them, before they become redundant. Like, I've been circling Michael Bay's Transformers for many a year now, trying to find an angle on it. That, uh, well, you're totally, you're totally good, because one of the things we try to implement on our show is we the won't... The 10-year rule, yeah. We won't do anything 10 years, 10 years or older. So even when we get to that, you know what? Alex, it's all yours. <laughs> Transformer it up. What's I, there's nothing to talk about. It's <laughs> right. Okay, here is my reason for not doing Transformers. This is for my listeners at home. Okay, I can do Batman films when Batman sucks. I can do Star Wars films when Star Wars sucks because there's something really good on the other side of the uh, equation. You've got your Star Wars Episode Five, Empire at the pinnacle. There, I talked about Green Lantern. The the movie is shit. But the animated series is really, really good. So we got to sort of balance the uh, the show out. 
I can't talk about Transformers because there's no balance to the equation. Transformers has never been fantastic. Well, what about the toys? I, I like the toys, <laughs> but the, how, how do you review a toy? Well, I'm kidding. You know, it's just, I'm, I'm agreeing with you because there's nothing passionate to nothing to be passionate about regarding the franchise. Well, I, I, I will I will disagree with you on there, at least not from a personal standpoint. But I remember when uh, I dragged my wife to see the second uh, Transformers live action motion picture. Dark Side oh. of the Rise of the Fallen, I believe it was. Revenge of the Fallen. Do yes. the Fallen, then they get revenge. It's a right palaver. Yes. That's and, the uh, worst thing ever Transformers in it. It came out in the real dog days of summer, and uh, I don't know if you've ever visited New York City in the summertime, but it is a wretched hive of scum and villainy. And, you know, you get to a point where you're sitting in your apartment and the little box air conditioner that you have is just not doing the trick. So you have to go to the movies. Uh, so we went and saw Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. And there were a couple of folks that we were sitting in front of that were just supreme Transformers fans who were so excited that, yes, there was another live action Transformers movie happening. Because wow. most of the Transformers fans that I, I, I know hate the Michael Bay Transformers films and they'd say, he raped the Transformers, he ruined what could have been perfect. Well, these 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 dudes uh, sat through this entire film doing nothing but nerd bickering at each other about how much they did hate the movie. Uh, you know, we were there for the air conditioning. These guys were there because it was a franchise they loved mm. and they were still willing to, you know, give it a shot whenever possible. But... Uh, yeah, that movie was safe uh, from no one. Fans, non-fans, everybody, I think, hated that movie. Yeah, even the cast. <laughs> yes, that's right. Megan I believe Fox that's the compared... film where, yes, yeah, yeah, the Megan Fox working for a Nazi thing. She compared uh, Michael Bay to a Nazi, which is not um, non-apt. And um, then she it's... wasn't allowed back for the third one because Steven Spielberg didn't take kindly to that. Yeah, honestly, Steven Spielberg was right because it's unfair to Nazis. Jeez, but yeah, you're absolutely right. He has great. I mean, if there's hair. anyone, if there's anyone, you're not going to make Nazi jokes in front of. You know, it's uh, it's Steven Spielberg. So she should have known better. Yeah, uh, but yeah, she made a public apology, and now she's in the Turtles movie, which is going to be fantastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, see, okay, yeah, I, I covered Turtles. And we talked about Turtles 1 and TMNT. Didn't really sort of glossed over Turtles 2 and the 3 and uh, the Hero Turtles. Sorry, Ninja Turtles TV show, the original one. Um, but we were able to sort of sort of cover it because it has peaks and troughs. Now, I love Peter Cullen as uh, Optimus Prime. I love Frank Welker as Megatron. And they're, they're enormous pantomime performance against each other. But that doesn't work in a modern context. And as an adult, aside from watching it and going, oh, I love me some Optimus Prime, it's really hard to watch the dialogue in the average episode of the original series, for example. Rocket fuel is the last resource we need to defeat the Autobots and control Cybertron. Right on schedule, aren't we? No thanks to you, Starscream. I've made my contribution. You've also made clear your desire to replace me as leader of the Decepticons. Mistake number one. It's time for a change, Megatron. It's time for action, not words. I am the leader of the future. You couldn't lead androids to a picnic. How can you pretend to lead the Decepticons? Get back in your kennels, both of you.
I mean, you know, I could rip into Michael Bay for ages about how he is able to make a terrible movie, but I find it hard to believe that anyone could make a really good Transformers movie based on the building blocks that they have. No, and that's something we kind of uh, came to a, re- a realization with when we uh, did an episode a couple weeks ago on Masters of the Universe, which mm. is that you really should not make a movie based off of a line of toys because it's a terrible it's a terrible base for building any kind of actual story or real characters. That is if those are your concerns and not just shifting more toys. Right. I mean if if your whole thing is I just wanna I just wanna move some merchandise, mm. then sure. But if you're out to make a, a solid action movie of any kind, let's fucking do something with this. I gotta move some merchandise, let's make a movie, huh? Which yeah, makes yeah. Masters of the Universe a weird anomaly because do you remember the movie toys that came out with that? Like three new figures. Oh no, I was I think I was a little too young. I don't know about this guy over here, Andrew. I wasn't I wasn't a, a He Man fan really. Yeah. I mean I still wouldn't even consider myself one. I'm completely ignorant to it. Not that I don't like it, I just don't know anything about it. Yeah. We've well, done that we did the Dolph Lundgren movie and then mm-hmm. we did an episode on their Christmas special, which was yeah. our uh pilot episode of animation damnation uh but other than that i've remained almost completely ignorant to he-man and his universe i'm a little bit older than you so i was there at the beginning i was there and um (laughs) but but picture the scene if you will imagine um he-man has run its course the cartoon has been and gone the figure lines have been and gone shira is just about petering out the movie comes out they introduce three new figures and like a bit of uh, like bits and bobs and some sticker books but they did not like go crazy on the merchandise with that what was thus the point of the masters of the universe movie because as you say it wasn't for the characterization well i think the idea is maybe you know we've got this great action star and dolph lundgren maybe we'll be able to build this out into a movie franchise but again you're making a movie in the the 1980s you know, where the, the series and what you were able to do with animation and so on, mm. uh, you know, you're not able to do with live action. Mm. So, you know, you don't have that Orko character, which is just a flying coat with a hat on a set of <laughs> eyes. And you also, you're also forced to bring it to Earth, which yeah. all, often brings some problems. I mean, h- how many minutes can we spend on scenes where they're talking about cultural differences between their fictitious alien yeah. planet? And most of that movie takes place in a parking lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that project specifically was doomed from the start. I mean, there's something like the first Ninja Turtles movie, at least, I think, uh, and, and most of the fellows on this show, I think, uh, also believe that, you know, it's a solid first outing for a live action, uh, motion picture of something yeah. that was toys and comics and cartoons and so on. That first movie still totally holds up. Yeah. And those sequels are garbage. And I actually, I mean, I remember seeing TMNT in the theaters with, uh, Steve Sadak here from We Hate Movies and, uh, was actually going out and nerdily complaining to the projectionist that the, uh, film was out of focus. Uh, and he said, which one? And I said, the Ninja Turtles movie that this 30 year old man is watching. <laughs> um, oh, you mean the one with the audience full of tiny children? <laughs> yes, yes, the very same. So, you know, there's, there's ways to do it and there's ways to not do it. So I think if you're trying to adapt a, a toy line or a cartoon, look to that first Ninja Turtles movie as the way to do it. By contrast, I wish I'd seen TMNT in the cinema. I discovered it on DVD. I was like, damn, this is actually really pretty good. It's not fantastic. 
but it has it, it's pacey enough, and they, they focus. They, they've got the emotion there for the first time ever in Turtles, except for in that first movie. Yeah, I actually think that movie's uh, not that bad, and I'm also a sucker for anything with Sarah Michelle in it. So her right. as April O'Neil was pretty sweet for me. So, Sharon, what's your next question? Because I completely took over that one. <laughs> That's fine. Um, okay, so in all the um, sort of experience that you've garnered from uh, doing your podcasts, what advice would you give to new podcasters who are just starting out? Uh, do your show every week. Mm. Yeah, have a set release date and time if possible. And also, you know, structure. Yeah. Know what it's going to be about. You know, don't, don't get right to the topic. Don't, uh, tell me what you did this weekend. You know, that's, uh, that I'm is, saying. that is one of the crucial things. That's a, that's a great point is, you know, anytime I'm trying out a new podcast and I mainly only listen to, uh, you know, comedy podcasts or, you know, film podcasts or something. But the more time you spend telling me, you know, from Jump Street about, what you did that weekend and some horrendous experience in the movie theater. I don't care. But if you can start your discussion with what I'm tuning in for and then you want to work in an anecdote of some kind, that's totally fine. If but it's relevant. Know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but if I'm expecting you to, you know, talk about the Lego movie and instead I have 25 minutes about, you know, some woman that cut you in line in the concession stand Give me a break. I'm, t- I'm turning you off because I, I don't know you and I don't care that you got cut in yeah. front of a concession stand line. Unless there's a particularly amusing twist that comes out of it. Or if it was a dude in a fucking Lego costume that did it because yeah. then it's relevant. Or if uh, it, it turned out to be Chris Pratt, the Lego hero voice himself, <laughs> was cutting in front of you in the line. That's fantastic. But otherwise – you going to get your Diet Coke and nachos is yeah. really not entertaining, and no one cares but you. I so heartily back up this particular sentiment. <laughs> Continue. Any more advice? Uh, I mean, just just piggybacking on what Eric said, know what you're talking about, have that firm release date. I mean, that's what did it for us. Yeah. Uh, and strategically plan that release date we used to release on fridays and you know the thing we learned there is everybody's either already loaded up on podcasts for the week or it's friday and you're just waiting to fuck off from work and start your weekend so nobody cares we moved our release date to tuesday thinking okay well it's not monday so nobody's miserable about going back to work and distracted about coming off the weekend Mm -hmm. uh but here's a day where it's still early in the week and you know from there we just decided yeah this is when the show's going to come out and we're going to do it every week and if we're not going to do it every week we're going to tell people in advance that we're not going to be doing it because the more the internet can rely on your uh, dependable schedule, yeah. the more they will they will turn back to you. That's something I actually learned, uh, you know, when we in in private cabin were doing video sketches a lot. Uh, you know, if you weren't consistently putting out material. Nobody cares. There's no there's no button to push where all of a sudden your podcast or your video or whatever goes viral. Yeah. It's up to you to keep putting that stuff out there. Yeah, so yeah. that's another thing. Don't stop. You know, just yeah. you, you pick your release date and do an episode every week or every other week or whatever it is. 
as much as you know as much as humanly possible. So turn it into a ritual. Get get the day set. Get the recording yeah. date set. Get your editing schedule down. Yeah. We hate movies as a big ritual. We put on scented candles. <laughs> no, there's a bunch of chalk on the floor. We it's crazy. We have to wear black robes and drink blood. It's nuts, but it works. <laughs> uh, no, but you know, and and the other thing about that is, you know, we've heard from other people. Uh, you know, you know, our show releases here uh, midnight Eastern. Uh, you know, so there's, there's people that center their podcasting schedule around it. We hear a lot of people that will, uh, write in and say, you know, hey, this is great. I work the graveyard shift at whatever. Um, you know, I depend on, on your show. So they know when they can go for it. And the other, the last thing I'll tack, I'll tack on to this is, um, really be super active in social media. If it was not for social media, our show wouldn't be a tenth of the the size that it is, uh, you know, and and we try as hard as we can not to take that for granted. You know, I'm, I'm constantly and and Eric is, too. He and I are probably the, the biggest users of, of Twitter and Steve's just kind of getting into it. Chris Cabin, he's a lost cause, but that's fine. <laughs> um, no, we love Chris. Uh, but, you know, we're constantly talking with with fans on there and on Facebook and stuff. And, you know, we try to answer as many emails we can, but that seems to be kind of the, the hardest one to do. But, you know, I think people do kind of appreciate that idea of, wow, these guys actually are engaging with me. They're getting back to me, you know, whether or not I'm just sitting on my couch uh you know with a a beer and and whatever else just watching star trek or something and i'm tweeting about it uh there's always going to be someone who's there tweeting back and you know we try as much as we can to engage people because that's the other side of this that's fun and it's something that you know we kind of realize is sort of weird but uh you know as the the audience has grown people kind of have this idea that they you know are 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 close to you or know you or something like that um which isn't true because our our personas on the show are kind of cartoons of ourselves complete complete false yeah but uh, nothing like that but uh yeah almost (laughs) um but you know it is it is fun to just kind of talk at people and and you know get some call and response going so you know again that's why we always it seems formulaic but at the end of the show uh, you know, I'm always telling people that we're on Twitter and we're on Facebook and stuff like that because, you know, the podcasting part is sort of, uh, only half of the fun. You know, we live tweet the Oscars and, and things like that. So there's all sorts of, uh, social media engagements that we participate in. Actually, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but, um, what, describe what your, uh, live shows are, are like. How do you organize them and what, what, what are the turnouts like? Well, we've had a, a couple of different live shows that we've done uh, over the years. The one we've done the most is uh, just a live podcast, and you know, basically like we do on the show, uh, picking a film and then and then talking about it in front of an audience. But you know, for the live show, we'll you know we've tried to bring uh, you know like the trailer or some clips here and there mm. uh, to make it a little more interesting and a little more worthwhile than seeing four fat guys up on stage drinking beers and talking to you about a movie you might not have seen. Uh, so we've done that. We've done a lot of uh, live commentaries, kind of like a MST3K, Riff Track, Cinematic Titanic type thing. Mm-hmm. You know, although we, again, just like the show, uh, it's all completely improvised. So we've played a couple of theaters where we're uh, just improvising a commentary track. To We did one on um, 
What was that Vincent Price picture? Oh, The Last Man on Earth. Yeah, we did that in Philadelphia. We also did um, Lady in the Water there as well. Yeah, we did uh, a live track to Baby Cakes. Uh, you know, so we've done a lot of that. And then we've done a, a variety show format thing, which was kind of the least successful of our of our live acts. It was also um, our first, our earliest uh, live yes. performance. And yeah. That was where we did... Um, we did clips and stuff. We we assembled like, oh, like here's our our favorite drunks of cinema, and then we we we. Who was the number one on that one? <laughs> uh, I believe it was Albert Finney and Under the Volcano. Oh yeah, that was de- that was definitely on there. And also, there's this this movie that's very may, might not be easy to find called Quiet Thunder. Oh yes, in which I made a, a super edit of the movie for the show. It was like ten eleven minutes long. And it was just like whenever the main character took a swig of whiskey and you could actually tell the story, the story would actually tell itself just through his drinking because <laughs> he'd be drinking in the next scene and the next scene and the fight scene. And you yes. had, you had very little to actually edit out of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, we found the most success with live commentaries are, are super fun and the audience is, is always into those just because there's something there the entire time that you're watching. And then we also just, have microphones and we get to make jokes over it. And then doing the live shows, uh, at theaters in, in New York City here has, has been a lot of fun. And we get people who, you know, drive in from, you know, out of oh, yeah, town and like stuff. Way to- out of town. We also had a, um, a fan that was visiting from Brazil was actually in the audience for Scream 3. Yeah. So, I mean, stuff like that's been, been super cool. Uh, and, and we love doing live stuff and, uh, you know, Steve and I have been performing comedy live since we were in college, uh, and, you know, it was kind of, it was new for the other guys, but, you know, Eric and Chris have super jumped on it and. Like uh, ducks in water, man. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, so it's, it's a lot of fun and we love doing that. And that's the one thing now that, uh, we hope to be doing a lot more of as the show continues. Cool. So to get this out of the way, because we were kind of there was a little bit of confusion about this before we went on the air. This movie, credited a story by Will Smith, starring Will Smith and Jaden Smith, and then directed. I'm doing air quotes because this is a podcast. Mm-hmm, I have to tell you right. that directed by M Night Shyamalan because M Night Shyamalan did things like mise en scène and blocking and things like that. Mm-hmm. But all the performances and all those decisions, it's all engineered by Will Smith. It's this, it's a really weird Will Smith Trojan horse directorial <laughs> debut movie. It's that, that sucks. And the fact is you don't even know the story. Like it's, and this is what I don't like about this new trend we're doing where we're doing the credits after the movie. Like what would be the before credits? Uh-huh. We don't even know what the title of the movie is until at the the movie ends because I didn't know this was a story. Even know that it was a story by Will Smith until the end of the movie. Yeah, man, <laughs> that's like eating a really nice, delicate fish dinner, and they're like, "Oh, who made it?" And then Danny DeVito comes out with fucking fish guts all over his head. You throw up. You know <laughs> you what I mean? Like it? I bet you did. <laughs> I cooked it all in the nude. <laughs> Hope you don't mind. I had a bit of a cold. Hatchoo. <laughs> Uh, let me ask you something. How often do you wash your hands every day? Because <laughs> I say once in the morning you're done. <laughs> it's the collard rule, right? When you get shit on your hands, you wash. But when you don't, that's fine, right? That's what I've always used. But yeah, you don't even know it's Will Smith until until the end of the movie. And I didn't even – this was my surprise. I didn't know that there was this weird like fake – 
you know, ghost directing going on. Okay, Sharon, do you want to go for the five questions then? Right, okay. A nice simple one to start with, hopefully. Um, what would you choose as your last meal and movie? Uh, now, am I being stranded on a desert island or executed? I think you'd be executed. <laughs> yeah. Let's go full dark on this. <laughs> oh, this is man, literally the last of your is life. It, yeah, it's, it's the final Or maybe let's just say the world's ending. How about that? Oh, the world's ending. Okay. Um, it's not just you. For me personally, then, uh, I would watch uh, a super nice Blu-ray of Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest with a, a gigantic pile of uh, chicken wings in front of me. <laughs> That's you know, exactly I, how I intended it. <laughs> I'm going to do the same thing, but with Blade Runner. <laughs> with also chicken wings. Yeah. That okay. works. Which cut? Uh, you know, I like the final. Yeah, me too. Good stuff. If Doc Brown turned up in the DeLorean and offered to take you anywhere you wanted to go, where and when would you go and how long would you stay there? Okay, I'm going to go to 1980 California suburb, and I'm staying forever, man. <laughs> really? <laughs> You just want to go to the I, 80s yeah. again. Well, think about this, you know, I could go, you know, I, right, right off the bat, boom, I could go see Empire in the theater, you know, and then also, you know, I'm probably some kick-ass arcades, <laughs> you know, the tunes aren't bad, you know, and then sure. and my funeral, my funeral would probably be now around 2014. <laughs> <laughs> it would either be now or you've been long dead. Yeah. One yeah. or the other. Yeah. You know, it's either works. You would definitely have been the coolest person in the 80s because you'd have just have been so so good at predicting trends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd put all my money in Microsoft. <laughs> and Apple. Oh, bloody hell. Yes, yes, of course. I'd diversify that portfolio. Oh, no one should do that. That's taking advantage of it. Okay, so... Yeah, the time cops are going to get me, man. <laughs> and they're going to at least make you touch an alternate version of yourself so that you both go all gooey. <laughs> Like I don't even want to touch the real version of myself. <laughs> okay. Um, sorry, same question. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. So I would go to late 70s New York City uh, for, for one reason, and it's the scum. To get uh, murdered. No, <laughs> no uh, I would go. And kill the Somerset. I, <laughs> I would love to go to uh, mid to late 70s New York City because of the music scene. If I had... The opportunity to be seeing bands like the Ramones and Television, Talking Heads, uh, and Blondie live when they were really just starting out uh, at CBGB's. Just shouting uh, at all the kids, I appreciate this in ways you'll never will. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, hey, really... I know how all these people die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is a, a super, it's an era of music that I'm super, super connected to. So I think, and also, you know, you can, you can say what you want about how safe the city is now and stuff. And, you know, I don't have any complaints, uh, at how safe it is, but, uh, you know, we really are living in this kind of, uh, Disney-fied, uh, Mickey Mouse version of this town. And, you know, I've been living here for the better part of a decade and uh, I mean we all have and it's just uh you want to go back you know, to the main each streets. each year we see we see more and more things being torn down in favor of new shiny mirrored glass buildings and it's unfortunate. Yeah. I would stay till I was inevitably, you know, murdered uh, down in the Bowery somewhere. Oh yeah, that, coming out of a, coming out of a talking heads blondie double bill probably. 
At least you're die happy. Exactly. I just saw a great concert. Now I'm going to get stabbed to death with a bottle. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, if you could give anybody in the world a superpower of your choice, who would it be and what would it be? Uh, immortality for this guy right here. Me. <laughs> <laughs> See, we changed it to who would it be because just like what would you have as a superpower? Everyone tends to go for something which makes them totally badass, but we like the idea of being able to, uh, diversify this and go, well, no, no, give it to someone who's maybe more important than yourself and see what they can do with it. <laughs> more, more important than myself. <laughs> there is no such person <laughs> exists. Sure. I'll, I'll even the playing field. Highlander rules. You take my head. You got it. <laughs> Islander one rules. Okay. Who would, uh, who would I give a superpower to and what would it be? Um, you know, I would probably have to go the immortality route, but I would give it to Alfred Hitchcock. I want to see what movies he would have uh, continued making past his 1980 renal failure. Uh, that's what killed him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Either that or how about this? I would give the gift of muteness to, uh, I don't know, someone like Donald Trump. Oh, <laughs> shut that trap forever. That's, That's good. a superpower there. On that, you know, invisibility to Shia LaBeouf. So would... Permanent hun- invisibility. Would 115-year-old Sir Alfred Hitchcock, KBE, still be doing movies now? You think? Or would he go, I am so tired of this. Sometime in the 90s. He would he would be one of those guys that's constantly saying he's so tired of this, but he wouldn't be able to stay away from the game. Of course. And he's immortal, so he can never just hang up his coat. No, definitely not. He he has to keep making movies for me. If you can keep making movies like Frenzy, which is one of his last films, mm-hmm. uh, I'm all on board. Nice. Within the entertainment that you choose for yourself, are there any recurring themes that you seem to keep going back to over and over again like 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 movies we personally watch on on our on our own yeah Yeah, yeah. something that you choose yeah that Um, that you would choose to watch not just to shred (laughs) i i i think and this kind of uh is parallel to shredding but i i love watching action flicks i don't know it's just something i grew up with as long as there's chicken wings yeah (laughs) you know the great thing uh, Alex, is that uh, it's America, so there's always chicken wings. <laughs> of course. We don't know. Uh, <laughs> I would, uh, um, okay, so, so media that I enjoy, uh, when I'm not doing this show. I tend to watch a lot of horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what I wrote my thesis on at school. It's kind of the genre that I was able to kind of jump into as a kid and realize, uh, wow, you know, Within this kind of umbrella title, uh, there's all these different subgenres and stuff like that. So that was the first kind of uh, instance of, of things where I was doing that with. I would also say that, uh, you know, one of my weird kind of guilty pleasures is I'm kind of I'm, I'm looking on my my DVD shelf uh, right now. But I, I do like watching uh, avant-garde art films. So things like Stan Brackage and Hollis Frampton and, and stuff like that. I also kind of get a kick out of for completely different reasons than watching horror movies. But, yeah, uh, yeah the, the, those are the two in my off WHM hours. That's genres. 
Let's go just a smidge deeper on this. Let's go back to action movies. Which kind of action movies, Eric? Is it like the guy who wanders into town and he just wants to have a drink, but people won't stop messing with him, and eventually there's a big bar fight, and then eventually the whole town's gas works explodes because he shoots everybody? Yeah, those are, those are great. Um, After he exposes just, corruption. Maybe a uh, sci-fi, you know, throw a cyborg in there. This guy's happy. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, themes of cyborgs and uh, and sci-fi and, and just particularly sort of macho, yeah. testosterone-y kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, when bones are replaced by metal. Yeah. And also, for, I'm, I'm getting from this that they, they would not necessarily have to be particularly high budget either. Oh, no, no. The, the less is more. Gotcha. Cool. <laughs> Okay, uh, and Andrew, um, uh, themes specifically in ho- within horror movies are particular recurring things like slashes or monsters or zombies or what? Oh, uh, I'm well. I will say definitely not zombies. I'm totally Sick done with that whole thing. We, as a film-going society, have ruined zombies for everyone. I think and vampires and vampires. Oh, yeah, I mean, I actually. I think I, I tweeted this the other day, but it just a, a random thought I had of like, remember when there was like 15 zombie movies yeah. and that's like all you had to work with? Like those were the fucking days with zombie movies. Now it's like zombies versus Cockneys, zombies versus Abraham Lincoln. So who can possibly give a shit about these things? But, you know, that's actually it's the problem with I mean, that's more of a. a conversation about the greater problem of uh you know it's really easy for people to make movies nowadays mm. and uh you know hey man i bought this great looking uh, dslr camera let's go make a zombie movie isn't yeah. it going to be great and it's always terrible um so definitely not zombies but yes i would say actually i can pin this down really easily uh we can we can zoom in on the 1980s and we can zoom in on slasher films mm. anything around there uh, I have a super nostalgia uh, for the 1980s, and any time a movie like that, and it's, it can actually jump out of slasher. We did a movie on uh, the great film Chopping Mall, um, which is you know, much like Eric, his love of robots. Uh, mm-hmm. It's robots. Low-budget robot fighting? Yeah, low-budget robot fighting, and it's also <laughs> mixed into a, a slasher film, is fantastic. There's a There's a great... Uh, low budget 1980s sort of sci-fi horror film called Night of the Comet, hmm. which is just like uber 80s nostalgia, mall nostalgia specifically, Ooh. shopping mall nostalgia. I'm a real sucker for it, to to narrow that down just a little farther. That uh, so, is yeah. pretty now, yeah. Yeah. Actually, further to your zombie thing, now that I think about it. Um, Scream and Shaun of the Dead both did the same thing in that they made it pretty much impossible to do slasher films and zombie movies straight again. And yet, in doing so, because they were so popular and came out of nowhere... Just revived interest in it. Slew of sudden, like, hey, we can do this shit too. Was it you guys who were talking about how Dimension films? If you looked at all the covers of Dimension films, they're all pretty much the same. A bunch of teenagers looking sideways at you with light behind them. Oh yeah, that's totally. That was Dimension Films' bag for like ten years, and that's all off of the Scream cover. But you can take it from Scream all the way through whatever that dumbass Wes Craven werewolf movie was. You know, cursed. Uh, you know. But it's it's totally true. They both uh, ruined and sort of enabled the genres at the same time. Yeah. I mean, the the amount of movies 
Shaun of the Dead specifically inspired, uh, yeah, and that movie was like what, 2005 mm-hmm. or four or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, the amount of zombie movies that have come out, and you can just see this, uh, you know, I know the, the UK new Netflix setup is a little different than ours yeah. title wise, but, uh, you know, I just look through the horror section on Netflix and it's just wretched piece of low budget <laughs> shit after another and it's it's horrible because nobody wants to watch these movies and that wasn't the fucking reason people went to see and enjoyed Shaun of the Dead it wasn't that it was a wretched low budget piece of shit it's that you actually cared about the characters and it made you laugh oh exactly and that's I mean that's the thing that those guys have done so perfectly, you know, in this uh, Cornetto trilogy, Mm -hmm. I guess people are calling it, but every one of those movies has that really incredible... Uh, you know, wholehearted human reaction relationship to it. Uh, and they, they do it so well. I actually thought it was kind of done the best in, in the world's end, honestly. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, for what that movie was saying and doing, I think people kind of repurposed it or bastardized the message of that movie with, uh, oh, hey man, I have $10,000. Let's go make a zombie movie. And then yeah. somehow somebody is getting it on Netflix, which is still the biggest mystery <laughs> is how these movies are getting made and then streaming on Netflix, being put on the sci-fi channel. You know, it's, I don't, it's the death of indie cinema because now yes. I'm never going to want to watch anything independently financed. <laughs> yeah, a, exactly. I saw a zombie movie, uh, that actually boasted on the back that it cost 40 pounds on the back of the DVD. Uh, I think it's called Colin or it's, it's someone's name. It was rubbish. And I think the DVD was like 14 pounds in, in the supermarket. So it was like, <laughs> so, you just sell so three they, copies of these and you broke it even already. Yeah. They made a great profit. God. But uh, yeah, it sucked. It was this awful kind of drama group crap. It was, it, it, as you say, yeah, anybody can make a, a zombie film. The question is, should they? The answer is no. Yeah, it's um, over. If if George Romero can't even make good ones anymore, mm. the rest of y'all can stop making them. See also Wes Craven. Yes. Um, Which technological development do you most want to occur within your lifetime? Whoa. Hmm. Uh, well, I will go the route of the huge Star Trek fan and say that the, uh, the betterment of space travel is, I hope, something we, uh, at least start to pretend that we care about anymore, uh, in this world. Uh, you know, because I think it's growing, uh, clearer and clearer that this planet is not going to be around forever. And if we have, any desire at all to keep this race of human beings going, uh, we have to stop kidding ourselves that, you know, we're not going to have to look beyond the moon for that. So I think space exploration, studying, mm. studying space, uh, and eventually traveling, uh, through space is something I, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen in my or our lifetime, unfortunately, but uh, I really think it's something that we should be considering because it's incredibly important. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with sort sort of similar. I'm gonna do Star Trek as well, but the holodeck. <laughs> also good. I you know, come on, when, when one of them we get to explore outer space, meet new cultures, the other one we get to stay home and fuck green women. Well yes. yeah, yeah. You know, what's Grand Theft Auto twenty nine comes out on the holodeck, man. Whew, you know, <laughs> you could finally visit 1970s New York and murder a lot of people. Imagine That's how you're, you're actually straight up upsetting it will be to murder people with your bare hands in the hollow deck. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's probably for me. It might not, but there's only one way to find out. <laughs> Just make it so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, space travel, we're not going to meet the Baku without it. Very, very, very true. Good answers. Thank you, guys. Once they beam down on this rogue mission, mm. it's more or less nonstop action. That's 49 minutes into an hour and 49 minute movie, though. But what Star Trek movie do you know of that is breakneck constant action aside from that J.J. Abrams Which movie? people rag on, but somebody needed to make Star Trek exciting and sexy and fun. Which and is that's fine. The, exactly. I, that, people rag on it I, is, are the same kind of people that it's they're, – they're not Ben Affleck at Goodwill Hunting. That was my question when we were talking about that is – because I – don't care, so I haven't looked into this, but I mean, that the fan, like the hardcore fan reaction to that J.J. Abrams flick. Because the only kind of criticism I've ever heard from that movie is the people that are like, oh yeah, you mean lens flare the movie? Shut the fuck up. That's a thing that happens. Just stop it. It's a I'm talking about like people that are fans of the franchise. Like, you have fans of the I, franchise right here. You guys like that movie, right? Yeah, Love yeah. That movie. I think, I think, it, it. I think it's yeah, I think there are, there are people that don't like it, but uh, I don't agree with them. Oh, Captain Kirk stole a car and the Beastie Boys were in there. You know who's going to be fucking timeless? The Beastie Boys. Yeah, you know, you, you got Gilbert and Sullivan in this movie. <laughs> I can handle that, like, some dude has... And the thing is, he's, it's a classic car. Yeah, yeah. So totally. maybe he wants some of the classic tunes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a great part in their... In their you know, escape to which mountain or whatever the fuck they're doing. Uh, they, they stop for water and, uh, Picard just, again, just busting Worf's balls is just like, Mr. Worf, it looks like you need a haircut. And it's like, oh yeah, my, my cling on puberty's happening. <laughs> I'm so glad I enjoyed this movie where I'm a fucking joke. You know, back on Deep Space Nine, I'm hot shit. What, yeah, that's enough. Whatever, freshman. <laughs> go get my, go get me a drink. <laughs> Yes, Worf, you've, you've, you've overseen many trade embargoes and done many deals with Odo at the gift shop on Deep Space Nine. It's kind of like, it's kind of like going home to a shitty family and everyone calls you like fatso or something. <laughs> Cause like, no matter, like, but I run a company. Nah, you're still fat Timmy that ate the, the pizza. That's what it is. They have no idea what Worf does on that space station. So they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, you and your fancy job on the space station. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like a realistic reaction would be like Worf would show up and they'd be like, what are you doing here? Oh, no, that job is filled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I, can't, I can't do anything for you. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I mean, nice to see you. Sorry you have a long trip back. <laughs> you got to call Quark again? How far away are you? Turn around and get me. While I'm gambling or whatever the fuck that piece of shit. Get this. Octagonal, octagonal money. God, I fucking hate Cork so much. I'm checking out the boobs over here (laughs) at the casino. No, Cork goes to space Thailand anywhere, any chance he can. Space Thailand. (laughs) I swear to God, I thought there was Walmart. (laughs) No, Cork, it was a little space boy. It was he a twelve-year-old Romulan boy. Cork. He was only twelve years old. <laughs> I, I thought he was one of those races of people that are smaller than most people. No, he was a boy. 
So before we go, do you guys have anything uh, besides We Hate Movies, or in fact, just anything specific about We Hate Movies or all your other projects that you would like to pimp to? Uh... Sure, yeah. Um, people can check out, uh, I do a side podcast with a, a friend of ours, Ben Worcester, that was also on the Getaway episode of We Hate Movies. It's, it's called Blamed on Outer Space, and we talk about conspiracy theories. It's sort of like we hate movies, sort of different, but we do, you know, we, we go through all these, you know, alien, whatchamacallit theories, and we kind of just have fun with it. That and name it, again? Uh, Blame It on Outer Space, and it's at blameitonouterspace.com. Nice. Uh, and another thing I'll just kind of toss out, because uh, why not? Even though nothing's uh, really getting traction with it right now, it's kind of in a little bit of a halting pattern. Gotcha. But um, the uh, sort of greater comedy collective that we're all a part of is called Private Cabin, um, and we, you know, have done several internet videos over the years. You can go to YouTube.com/slash Private Cabin and take a look at them. But we also made uh, our first feature film last year, which is right now being submitted for festivals. It's called We Are Strangers. Uh, it's kind of completely different from the the sort of comedy that you find on on we hate movies it's a lot uh, uh darker comedy and more serious totally out of character dramatic tones for us but uh it's a movie we made we're super proud of it um and we're submitting to festivals right now and within the you know sometime in 2014 uh regardless of festival submissions it's going to be released online and does it feature zombies there's not a single zombie in the movie. <laughs> Round of applause. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well done. You, you stayed strong. I'm sure it must have been, uh, uh, it was, it was super tempting, you know, because here we are, we're making this movie. It's about, uh, you know, 30 year old people trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. It cost 40 quid. It did, did. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I was like, I was on set and I said to, I said to our director, Sean Weiner, who's been on the show a bunch of times, I said, Hey, Sean, you know, a really great thing to pepper this, uh, pretentious art minded party with in this scene here is, uh, a zombie invasion. Of course. And, you know, he, yeah. And, you know, he would say, uh, listen, I'll take it into consideration, but right now I need you to, uh, you know, just talk about how you feel really lost with your life in this scene. Uh, but no, it's a, it's a film we're really proud of. And, uh, it's a film that was actually done, uh, 100% completely improvised, uh, which right. is something, um, you know, much like we hate movies. I mean, it's something we've, we've done a lot. Uh, but if, if your listeners are interested in checking out our various, uh, web series and one-off videos, you can go to youtube.com slash private cabin. That name of that film again. We are strangers. We are strangers. Thank you very much. And thank you both so much for coming on the show. It's, I've been, um, itching to get you on for, for, for months now. So it, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, it was really fun. Thank you so much for uh, considering having us on. Not a problem at all. And I think that's going to do it for us this episode. Thank you to Andrew and Eric for coming on the show. You can check out their show on iTunes, We Hate Movies. We will be back very soon with more tasty treats for your earbuds. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Neural Neural Handshake handshake complete. Complete. On a far distant world of enchanting beauty, a family of lost travelers find shelter and friendship among the Ewoks, peaceful guardians of the forest. But the peace is shattered. But there is hope. 
a shipwrecked adventurer and his speedy sidekick join forces with the Ewoks. Their mission? Penetrate a fortress of death and rescue their friend. It's a desperate scheme that unleashes the rage of a demented tyrant. Wilfred Brimley. There's a there's a couple of footsteps that come rustling up toward the door. So, and who walks into the movie but Wilfred the fuck Brimley? <laughs> His grumbling entrance. How'd you get here? He brought us here. He did, huh? <laughs> you nasty little bug lover. I've told you and I've told you I don't want no strangers around this place. And look what you've done. You brought them here and you don't even know who they are. Who are you? This was... One of the most fun times I had watching a movie for this podcast because <laughs> he is a surly delight. <laughs> He's fucking furious that these people are in his house. Rightfully <laughs> so. <laughs> but he's just like, get out of here. What are you? Oh, you're just in all my things. And he's like, and you, you let him in. And the rabbit's like, oh. <laughs> What's weird though is like the way he speaks to this little girl is how he would, like, you know, how you should react if you walked in to find, like, an adult in your house. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Like, you find a little kid in your house, it's like, all right, little kid, wh- what are you doing here? Where are your parents? Come on, get out. He's like, oh, get the, get the hell out of here now. Come on. You you get a move on. You better get out of my house. He, he never really he never really asks where her parents are. He's, no. He's just like, he's like, hey, get out of here. Like, you, you, you man from here, from the government. I've given the empire too many of my space bucks. I came out here to get some peace. Yeah, he does have this weird, like, loner thing going on. It's a Ted Kaczynski vibe going on, 100%. Yeah. Like, he wants to be out there and he doesn't want anyone around except for this rabbit thing. That he may or not may or may not be fucking or whatever's going on. <laughs> yes. There's a reason I let you live in this house, and you know what that is, God damn it. Well, yeah, that's the best part. So he kicks them out. He's all fucking pissed at them, and then he chews this rabbit out for like five minutes because <laughs> it's his spouse. It is. It's just... Like just like the, the podcast went back in time, and guess what? Someone took an Ewok for a bride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude, this, totally. This is the courtship of fucking this Ewok. Village and it's just this guy and he's just like, oh god damn you let you just let him in my house of course you did they're my, and they, they're they're just making dinner and messing up all my things. What I love is he kicks him out of the house and he's like, oh finally they're gone. Oh what do we have here? They made food. Better eat it. And he, <laughs> yeah. He's just like eating their dinner. Like oh this is delicious. I'm so glad I came home and found all this food in my kitchen. The best part is when Wilfred Brimley opens his little oven and goes like. Muffins? <laughs> How'd they know I love muffins? <laughs> well, this is, these two are for tonight and the rest is for the rest. I'm gonna freeze this and drop it later. <laughs> I'm gonna put it in a cool shack in a river. <laughs> He's like yelling at the rabbit thing. He's like, why can't you cook food like this every day when I get home from work, goddammit? And the rabbit thing is looking at this little girl and defenseless teddy bear just sitting on his lawn. Like, and they're, they're, it's really sad because they're just like, I'm cold. And Wicked's like, I know, so am I. What's, it, what's <laughs> insane about that? You totally said it, Steve. It's like, how the fuck is a little teddy bear cold? Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, okay, it's Endor and who knows what's going on with the weather patterns on Endor and whatever. But, like... It looks relatively sunny out. I mean, you're filming this in fucking Southern California or whatever. It's fine. Like, it doesn't look that cold out, little girl. Come on. And the, 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 
So the rabbit like is like, I'm, I have super speed. I'm going to sneak them out Muffet so they don't die. <laughs> and then he gets back quick enough, and Wilfred Brimley's like, well, the muffin. Well, I guess you were hungry, huh? <laughs> Ate all the muffins. And he's like, he's like yelling at him from inside the house too. He's like, oh, it's gonna get very cold out there, isn't it? Everyone's <laughs> <laughs> starving to death. And then they start like they 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 start a fire. Like oh, the thing is, they're like only ten feet away from his house, and they start a fire. And he's like, God damn it! And he has to like go out there. <laughs> What is that light? <laughs> What's great is they're sitting there and it's like this like nice beautiful moment where she's like she she's finally like getting a chance to take a breath and like just sort of register all the trauma that's happened Ooh. to her in the last few hours and she's like man wicked like I miss my family like this is going to be really hard and it's this like nice heartfelt moment where they're leaning up against a log and she kind of like <laughs> puts her head on his cuddly shoulder and then it cuts to like an overhead shot of them and you see the little fire and out of nowhere R- Wilford Brimley runs into the frame and just throws water on the fire. <laughs> You're going to start a goddamn forest fire. Get the hell inside. Thank you for building the fire. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. You know what? You're my best friend. Mm, yes, best friend. All right, what are you two little wood rats trying to do? Burn down the whole forest? But I was cold. I ain't going to let you build one of these fires, you know, unless you build it in the fireplace. The only place you make a fire is in a fireplace. You stupid monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) He calls them beggars the whole time. Like It's supposed to be this endearing, like, oh, he's a cry to the old man, like, you know, warming up. But it's it's more like, you're stealing my food. Well, what's... (laughs) What's weird about it is he specifically calls them beggars. Like, you little beggars, blah, blah, blah. Not once do they ask that fat old man for a thing. Not a <laughs> goddamn thing. No way. They're staying in his house. They're using up his food and his shelter. But they're not asking for anything. Like, if anything, they were just kind of taking it over because Wilford Brimley doesn't know any better than to fucking lock his door when he goes out hunting in the middle of the day or whatever he's doing. Goddamn freeloading beggars, welfare state, etc. cetera. <laughs> 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 